Well, we're in week three of a series called Watch Your Mouth, trying to get as practical as possible because all of us use our mouths. On a daily basis, we speak words. And oftentimes, the words that we speak do not give life, right? We've seen a couple of scriptures the last uh, couple of weeks that words can destroy, but words can also give life. We need to make sure that we're not destroying people with our words, right? To put it bluntly. And the reality is, oftentimes, the words that we speak, when they bring destruction to the people around us, the problem is not our mouths. The problem is deeper. It's in our hearts. So we've looked at a scripture that says, uh, our mouths speak what our hearts are full of. And so we need to be paying attention to where the root of the problem is, the heart. We need to do the necessary work to make sure our heart is in the right place. So two weeks ago, in case you missed it, you can watch it online, we talked about the problem of complaining. Last week was the problem of criticizing, having a critical spirit. And then this week is the problem of lying. So yeah, that's right. We're getting into Ten Commandment territory now. This is serious, serious business here. Now, when you first hear about this, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was two years old. My parents told me it was wrong to lie, right? Like, I know that. And this is one of those areas, like, okay, you know, I got, you know, everything that, you know, has to do with do not lie, right? It should be a short message, shouldn't it? But what we fail to realize is, number one, how prevalent it is. And number two, the deep consequences that happen through lying, even subtle lies. So I'll just start out from the top and let you know that I lied to my wife. Yeah, I know. It's, it's full-on confession time. It's that kind of church. Uh, now, if I'm being fully truthful, which I should in the message about lying, uh, it was before uh, she was my wife, right? It was the proposal stage, right? Now, some of you guys, you lied to your wife, your future wife as well, because you had a plan, right? And you wanted to surprise her, and you wanted to make things perfect, and you wanted to just be, you know, right on. But in order to do that, there was a whole series of lies that you had to pull off to get to that point. You're like, oh, yeah, wow, didn't see it coming. And so I did that successfully, fortunately. But afterwards, I ended up having the greatest night of sleep of my entire life. I was exhausted. I was relieved. I was so tired of lying, right? Now those are, if there is such a thing as a good lie, right? Fulfills a purpose and we rationalize and justify. And so she's excited, right? She couldn't sleep because she's excited. And you know, I went to, went to bed that night and told her the next day, it's like, man, I, that's the fastest I've fallen asleep in my life, right? That's not a put down. It's like, well, relief. She said yes, but excitement that I no longer have to lie to my future, li- to my future wife. This is not an ideal start, right? And so maybe some of you have been in that circumstance. You're trying to pull off a surprise party and you don't enjoy that part. And frankly, should kind of scare you too. Like, wow, why was it so easy to be so believable in my lies? Something to consider as well, and probably should scare both people involved. Now, you think about that scenario, and probably all of us have, you know, lied to get to a certain point of surprise, and we consider it to be worth it. Contrast that feeling with a different circumstance, the different kind of feeling that comes with, with this specific situation. A few weeks ago, I received an email from a hacker. Now, heads up, this hacker just doesn't, does not have very good grammar, which, frankly, is kind of annoying. You know, if you're going to go to those lengths of hacking, you should at least have good grammar in your emails, personal opinion. But uh, I want to share with you uh, the email that I received a few weeks ago. It says this, I'm a hacker who cracked your email and device a few months ago. You entered a password on one of the sites you visited, and I intercepted it. This is your password from dmoranti at firstchurch.me on moment of hack. And then he gives an actual password that I've had in the past. Like, well, Hello. He says, I assume he's a he, I don't know why, just, you know, seems like a bad dude. <laughs> he says, I have spent a long time spying for you. Now, it should be spying on you, right, just to be clear, nobody's spying for me, but I gave you a heads up on the grammar. He said, you are not my only victim. I usually lock computers and ask for a ransom, but I was struck by the sights of intimate content that you often visit. I've never seen anything like this. 
I made screenshot with using my program from your camera of yours device. Yeah, I know. I lost all respect for me. After that, I combine them to the content of the currently viewed site. There will be laughter when I send these photos to your contacts, but I'm sure you don't want it. Therefore, I expect payment from you for my silence. I think $820 is an acceptable price for it. He says, pay with Bitcoin. And then he proceeds to give me Bitcoin instructions. Very helpful, right? Never, never done that before. Like, oh, okay, thank you. Really, really thorough details. And then he says, I give you two days, in parentheses, 48 hours. It's like, oh, thank you for those two days. <laughs> Very helpful. I give you two days, 48 hours, to make a payment. If this does not happen, all your contacts will get crazy shots from your dark secret life. Do not be silly. Police or friends won't help you for sure. P.S. I can give you advice for the future. Do not enter your passwords on unsafe sites. I hope for your prudence. Farewell. Got really dark at the end. Like, oh, farewell. Now, here's that moment, right? Now, imagine if he's right. Imagine if he really did hack into my computer, catch all of those things that he said that he caught, and I actually had those things, right? Hopefully, none of you have been in this situation before. But in that moment, if it's actually true that he really did hack and I really do have that content, that's hyperventilation mode, isn't it? It's like, oh, no, I'm about to be found out. This is not good at all. $820 is a pretty cheap price to pay for what could actually happen based on consequences. And so it's a very different level of emotion, you know, between surprising someone, right, after a certain series of lies, seemingly hopefully innocent lies, and something actually being true, something that I'm hiding. Now, full disclosure, uh, the email went to spam, and so I didn't get it until a couple weeks after. So by that time, I'm like, well, if it is true, it would have been out there. But, you know, since this is full disclosure... But the point is, imagine if that was actually true. Think about the difference, right, between something that probably all of us can relate to and hopefully very few or none of us can relate to. There's a big difference between the fear of ruining a surprise by being found out and the fear of your true self being found out. Big difference, isn't there? See, what's ultimately at stake when it comes to the issue of lying is honestly a life-defining area, which is integrity. See, integrity is everything. It really is. So if we're living the kind of life that God desires us to live, then he always looks through the lens of integrity. Are you who you say you are? See, integrity is consistent honesty regardless of your situation or circumstance. Because oftentimes, right, if we're living a lie, if we have this hidden self, then we tend to compartmentalize different areas. Well, you have your work life, you have your family life, you have your church life, you have your private life. Well, that's a lot to keep up with, right? Like, all right, which mask do I put on for this life where I'm all in and I, I need to, to be that person and all of that person so that, that I can make it work and I can be successful in that area, right? We're lacking integrity if we have multiple selves, so to speak. So Proverbs 11.3, we see this. The integrity of the upright guides them but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity, double life living. See, this is interesting because the scripture is basically saying integrity is our very guide because by it, we are choosing to live in one direction. If we're scattered, if we're compartmentalized, right, then we're actually never fully in with our fully true selves in any of those areas. But integrity means I'm choosing to be exactly who I am everywhere I go. I'm choosing to live in 
one direction. So naturally, to truly have integrity, we must not feel the need to lie about our personal lives. And this is where we get into the why. Why do we lie at all? One author puts it this way. To lie is to erect a boundary between the truth we are living and the perception others have of us. The temptation to do this is often born of an understanding that others will disapprove of our behavior. Isn't that interesting? Why do we have the temptation to do that at all? Because if we don't, then somebody might disapprove of my behavior, of of me, exactly who I am. So why does someone twist a story or exaggerate details when telling that story? What's, What's driving this? Well, people lie so that others will form beliefs naturally that are not true. So you're telling a story, you're saying, the fish was this big. Next time you tell the story, the fish was this big. The fish was, what, what do we look, what are we aiming for? Why would we even have the temptation to do that? Ultimately, what we want when we lie is the approval of others. We want people to look upon us and be impressed. We want them to like us. We want them to accept us. The deep down temptation of why we lie is because we are desiring people's approval of us. But too often, we end up sacrificing our integrity to get it. What God says matters most. And obviously being forced to maintain an exhausting performance in the meantime, keeping that up, keeping that mask on. First John chapter two, verses four and five says, whoever says, I know him, Jesus, but does not do what he commands, right? The obedience factor is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Message translation puts that last part. His life does not match his words. And so we're really good at using the right words, the necessary words to get the approval of those around us according to the environment that we're in. What do they need? What do they need? Well, if I act this way, if I say this, then they'll like me, but over here it's going to be a little bit different. That's exhausting. Our our life not matching our words, it's lacking integrity. Verse 5 says, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. So living a life of integrity is living as if we are our whole selves all the time. We're complete. And so that word integrity comes from the Latin word integer, which means integrated, right? We don't have part cells. We have a whole self, a fully integrated life that we're living in every area of our lives, no matter what. See, whenever we lie, we're basically saying whatever to God's desire for our lives. Because in that moment, you're going to go that route because you desire approval from the people around you more than you desire to live the life that God has given you. And so if we go that route, we're saying, "Eh, whatever, God, this is what I want in the moment. Now, we probably need to confront the fact that uh, all of us lie. The reality is all of us lie. Let me give you an example. Survey was done uh, that uh, resulted in the 10 most common white lies, right? We use that word white to make it like sound innocent. Oh yeah, it's just, just a white lie. Here it is. Top 10 most common white lies. Number one, I'm fine. That's right. Some of you lied today, didn't you? How you doing? I'm fine. I'm good. Number two, I love this gift. (laughs) You've been there, haven't you? It's coming up. That time's coming up. You're going to have to use that line. Number three, sorry, I'm sick. Okay. Number four, I didn't see your text. Yeah, some of you did that, didn't you? Number five, most common white lie, let's keep in touch. Oh, yeah, see you later. Let's keep in touch. Like, I hope never talk to you again. (laughs) You laugh because that's why we don't use honesty. (laughs) Oh, let's keep in touch. Number six, this food you cooked is delicious. (laughs) Number seven, I'm leaving in five minutes. Right? Parents say to their kids. Kids are like, okay, yeah, 
Don't think you're going to abandon me. Number eight, I'm on the way. I'm on the way. Number nine, I'll be ready in 15 minutes. Man, I grew up hearing that lie from my sister, waiting in the car, take her to school. Say, I'll see you in 30. Okay, number 10. Number 10, most common white lie. No, you don't need to lose weight. So that's the top 10. I know. I I didn't say they were nice. Reading surveys, not my material. After a performance, someone asks, how was my solo? And you say, great, right? These are polite lies. Think about where this is coming from. You don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Like, you're a nice person, right? So we're not going to have the rest of the message talking about how you, you know, sort of eliminate all those because we have deeper issues to get to because now we're going to veer into territory of the reason why we lie has more to do with ourselves. So some of those lies you're just trying to protect. You don't want to harm. You don't want to discourage. And, and you realize like, oh, wow, if I, if I tell them this, that would really hurt their feelings. And it reminded me of uh, American Idol, which I think is still on, but I haven't watched for several years, but it's probably the same where the first few episodes is like watching a train wreck over and over. And you know, it's technically hilarious, but it's also very depressing because it's person after person getting up, up there and failing like to the, to the extreme. And so what you're witnessing is the consequence of parents lying to their children. How in the world have they made it this far on national television where they receive the first dose of honesty? Because apparently they have parents who said, you're a good singer. <laughs> and then here they are for the whole world to see. And it's exactly the opposite. And, they, and they're crying, right? Like, oh, it's, the, the conversation, the footage afterwards should be the kids saying, mom, dad, why didn't you tell me the truth? Anyway, parents, right? consequence of not being fully honest with their kids. So here's some lies as we veer a little bit over to territory of why we lie when it has to do with ourselves. Here's some lies parents have told their kids. One parent said, I tell my kids when the ice cream truck plays its song, it is out of ice cream. (laughs) Pretty creative. Kids like, man, they must be out of ice cream a lot. <laughs> Another parent said, when my three-year-old's betta fish died, I took her to the pet section at Walmart, pointed to a similar fish, and said, what's Troy doing here? <laughs> she said, come on, Troy, we're taking you back home. <laughs> That's terrible. That is just terrible. It's a pretty good lie, That's terrible. I also love the fact that they named their fish Troy. That's hilarious. <laughs> Another parent said, we tell our son he'll have to drive a little smart car if he doesn't eat his vegetables because he'll be too little for a big car. (laughs) Oh, that's terrible. Along similar lines, one parent said, when I sneak a snack and they ask what's in my mouth, I say green beans. (laughs) Strategic parenting right there. Another parent said, I tell my kids who can't read yet, a sign in a store says, no arguing or no, no whining. It's good. Another parent said, if you touch the Christmas tree, you'll take its magic and Santa won't be able to find us. <laughs> mean. It's mean. It's creative and mean. Last one, one parent said, at night, I tell my three-year-old that the sun won't come back up if he doesn't go to sleep. <laughs> A lot of pressure, isn't it? <laughs> He's imagining going back to school the next day. It's like, oh, kid friends asking, why didn't the sun come up? It's my bad, my bad, didn't go to sleep, you know. (laughs) Poor guy, that's unnecessary guilt. 
But now we're getting into the territory, uh, right? Like those, again, those are innocent lies, and right? This isn't commentary on why we shouldn't do maybe a variety of, uh, of those things, you know, especially to our kids. But the reason why most of us lie actually has to do with ourselves. So lying doesn't often stop at the level of white lies. The real problem is when seemingly good, all-around people decide to lie when it helps themselves. Right? There's a problem at the root of it. So people will end up lying about their age. They lie about their marital status, their education, and their occupation. Why? In order to get something that they want. Because in that moment of lying, we are telling ourselves, my needs are more important than anything else. Why else would you lie? You don't say that out loud, but that's really what's happening. So we lie because we think we need to in order to get what we want or to avoid something we don't want. And naturally, if we're living as if the universe revolves around us, then the lying is justified, isn't it? Meanwhile, unfortunately, the integrity of our souls continues to be destroyed. One of the greatest evidences of selfishness is actually flattery, which again, we seems, seems to be like another area of innocence in an area I wouldn't have planned to talk about until I started reading uh, material on this and even scripture itself. Right? Something that we're like, ah, it's no big deal. But flattery itself is a form of lying. Flattery is literally lying to get what one wants, right? Somebody who's like a schmoozer or buttering you up or complimenting you in order to really get something out of you for the sake of themselves. Like, that's manipulation. Right? Like, it's a big deal. So some of you parents of teenagers, uh, you know that they're the best at this, right? They come home from school and like, oh, mom, you look so nice today. Dad, how was your day? Really, tell me more about how things went. Right? You're cutting to the chase. Like, kid, what do you want? Right? Get right to it. Right? Proper response to be like, well, that's, I don't need flattery in my life. Flattery is a form of lying. Go to your room, right? It's going downhill very quickly. Your kid's in the room. They have questions, but they understand the consequence. And so Proverbs twenty six twenty eight says, a lying tongue hates its victims, right? Because again, this is the, the root of this is selfishness. And a flattering mouth works ruin. A flattering mouth works ruin. Again, because we only care about ourselves. Now, the problem is now, the more that we lie, the easier it becomes to lie right? Specifically about the same lie. The first time you lie, there's an extreme response to the brain. That literally happens. But the 10th time you lie about the same thing, the less there is of a response in your brain, the easier it is to lie. And so this is very interesting because even people who have never gone to church, don't believe in God, still have this thing called guilt when the first time they do something wrong. But unfortunately, oftentimes through habitual behavior, we train our brain to no longer experience that feeling. That hardwired, because we've all been made, made in the image of God, to experience when we do something that is out of bounds, out of line with God's desire for our lives. So the more we go down that road, the, the more it ruins the gift that God has given to us, that, that radar. So if you're an honest person and you decide to lie, there will be a significant response in your brain that signals this disconnect between who you are and who you're supposed to be and what you are actually doing in the moment. But again, if you continue to lie, this is what happens in the brain. The gap between who you are and what you are doing it begins to close. Your brain, this literally is happening in your brain. It's becoming less about merely telling a lie and moving more toward you being a liar. It's literally becoming who you are. And so our brain gets accustomed to lying. It gets used to it because after a while, the negative feeling is reduced and continual lying destroys what I would call the gift of guilt which results in you lying more and more. Nobody wants to feel guilt, but think about why we feel it. It's because it's a gift from God to say, hey, this is an ideal. There's a reason why you instinctively feel bad about this. Right? You don't need to read a book. Like This is hardwired into us. 
However, as we've already alluded to, the real challenge for liars is keeping track of all the lies. You know, this is an exhausting performance. You're like, oh, what did I tell them? What did I tell them? Is this going to be consistent? Right? That's, see, when you tell the truth, obviously speaking, when you tell the truth, you have nothing to keep track of. Because there's this thing called your actual memory. <laughs> did it happen or didn't it? All I have to refer back to is what actually happened. We speak that. John chapter 8, verse 32. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Right? Speaking to the obedience factor. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So we're connected to him, we find true freedom. And when we choose the route of lying, we're disrupting the freedom that God has in mind for us. We're putting our relationship with God and our relationship with others in bondage, so to speak. And if we're living compartmentalized, kind of hidden lives, then we're under the illusion that we're actually pulling it off, and we're not. See, our lies are what are keeping us from connected, true relationships, both with God and with others. There can't be freedom without truth. So confessing a secret such as an affair or a gambling addiction will probably result in hurt and consequences, right? And it should. There will be a cost. And that's what keeps you from confessing that secret part of your life. If that's happening, you know that there's going to be a cost that you might not recover from. But what we often fail to realize is the relational cost that is already happening, both with God and with others, that's already there. Here's why. Because to lie is to recoil from relationship because you're preventing connection with that person or with God himself by presenting a false self. Because you're not fully all of you in any of those areas, constantly having to hide a certain area. And so we think that we're actually pulling it off, but we're under the illusion that it's working when it's really not. Now, we have immediately got into some heavy territory there, right? Because there are people, you know, at both campuses where maybe this has been part of your past and you've been, you know, going down this route and you're like, okay, yeah, it's been exhausting, but I feel like it's, it's technically worked because nobody's found out, but we have to realize that there's a cost. And so this, you know, navigating some heavy emotions. So let's take a breath for just a second and talk about the game of golf. Golf, arguably, is one of the sports that requires the greatest amount of integrity, at least by design, by the creation of, of golf and the rules that it entails. And so if you're playing the game of golf and you hit the ball, it lands somewhere, and you're supposed to play it exactly where it lands. Play it as it lies, right, is what you say in golf. And so I'll show you a picture here for those of you that don't golf. This is a golf ball that was hit in the rough. Uh, you don't ideally want to hit out of the rough because it's typically harder. You want to be hitting in the short grass. So you have a picture of the rough where the ball is, short grass, which is the fairway, and it's easier to hit out of the fairway. That's what you want. And so there was research done. 12,000 golfers were asked... If you're in the situation, would you deliberately go and pick up the ball and move it just four inches to the fairway? And almost every single one of them said, no way, that's against the rules to deliberately pick it up and move it to the fairway. I would never do that. But then the researchers asked three other scenarios, and with each of these other scenarios, they saw some compromise. So the first was, first question, that follow-up question they asked, would you kick it over to the fairway? Several more people then said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll kick it over, right? Because that's just like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Second scenario they presented, which even more people said that they would do, is they would use their golf club to hit it over. Isn't this interesting? They're essentially doing the exact same thing, but one is deliberately picking it up with their hand and moving it over. No, no, I would never do that. Now the question is, would you use your golf club? You know, just like, oh, just knock it over. Oh, oh, oh. They, many of them said that they would. Third scenario, 
And, the, and it was amazing the number of people that all of a sudden, oh, yeah, I'd probably do that. They asked, would you look up to the sky and hit it with your golf club and move it four inches? <laughs> well, and then many of them were like, oh, yeah, that's no big deal. <laughs> and what's happening with each of these scenarios, you're slowly removing yourself more from the reality of what you're actually doing, breaking the r- rules. Oh, I look up the sky. Oh, yeah, hit it. With, oh, huh, fairway. Can you believe that, right? Maybe some of you guys have been in this situation with your buddies, right? They saw where it landed. You're like, I don't know. I didn't even see. I didn't see how it moved. I guess I was walking, maybe bumped into it. I don't know. Bird came along, put it over there. <laughs> now, this is interesting from our mindset and, the, and from you know, human behave, behavior uh, way of, of, of the way that we rationalize and justify our actions. See, if you pick it up and move it, it feels deliberate. However, if you insert a little bit of ambiguity into the situation... What happens is it provides enough distance from reality for rationalization to creep in, and you can justify your actions. This is scary. How little it takes oftentimes for us to justify lying or justify breaking the rules or living a certain way. And so integrity, what that means is refusing to allow there to be distance at all. There are no compromise. Integrity, refusing to allow there to be any distance Looking at your reality, whatever it is, and facing it head on, refusing to dodge it, manipulate it, bury it, say, this is who I am, this is what happened, I'm confessing this, this is my true self in this moment. Now, unfortunately, there's several different examples of people who have gone off the rails in their lives in the area of integrity. Uh, Two I want to allude to because I feel like, man, we're really disappointed in a culture at large. We found out about these two people uh, are Lance Armstrong and Bill Cosby. And so Lance Armstrong took performance-enhancing drugs, and you know, he'd been successful for a long period of time. And we're like, wow, Lance Armstrong, that's awesome. He's a role model. And, and Bill Cosby, you know, for his sexual behavior with women uh, that unfortunately happened over a span of decades. And this is the part where they made mistakes. And if they would have came out and, and said, yes, I made a mistake, and, and I'm so sorry for that, and I want to you know, apologize to the world for that, then we would never see them fully the same again, but we would probably have a little bit more grace than if they followed it up with, I didn't do that, which is what they did. And so now we're trying to reconcile the fact like, man, those guys during that whole stretch of time were doing those things. Like, man, we, some of us grew up watching the Cosby show. Like, no, nah, that can't be. That can't be. And someone would be able to get away with leading a hidden life while also doing that. It's hard to, to wrap our minds around. They weren't who they presented themselves to be all of those years. Now, let me insert just a couple of scriptures that that speak into, uh, and this is all I'm going to say about this area, but I feel like it needs to be said. Oftentimes in our culture, uh, we have so many people that through their business or through cheating on taxes, right, they're lying in order to make money, right? And unfortunately, some people do this and don't think anything of it. But I came across a couple of scriptures that really speak convicting truths to this. Proverbs 21.6 says, A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. Like it's just meaningless. Proverbs 19.1 says, Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. So what's success in God's eyes? Well, in this scenario, it's a poor person walking in integrity. More so than somebody who is gaining riches through lying that God deems that person to be a fool. So the question becomes, for all of us, practically speaking, is your life marked by truth-telling and honesty? Are you a trustworthy person? The people around you, would they consider you to be a trustworthy person? Proverbs twelve twenty two says, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Man, I hope that all of us want to be successful in, in God's eyes, regardless of what becomes easy by our world standards, because lying is easy. 
Truth-telling, though, leads to trustworthiness. Part, part of what's gonna drive us is simply caring more about our relationships, both with God and with other people. People that know you are who you say you are. People know they can count on you. You're dependable. They can count on you to be honest, to show up, to follow through, because you let your yes your be yes and your no be no. I mean, these are the basics of relationships, aren't they? See, if you aren't trustworthy, then you aren't dependable. People can't count on you. And honestly, that's a shame because making it a priority to be there for other people, to keep our promises is practically one of the easiest ways to have solid, stable relationships. But what it will come down to is how much you value your own character, how much you care about what God says matters most, which is your heart. So my challenge for us today is this, make integrity your legacy. Integrity really is everything. Make integrity your legacy. Proverbs 12, 19 says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. So this is a call to do the hard thing in the immediate moment, knowing that that's what's gonna matter over our lifetime and even beyond. So when I think about the end of my life, and hopefully I, the end of my life comes before my wife or my son, and I'm there in my final moments, I want my wife and my son to be able to say that Darren loved God, he loved people, and he was the exact same person no matter where he was or who he was around. I would deem that to be a successful life. And so God calls me to live a life of integrity for the sake of my relationships with the people he has put around me, but also for the sake of my relationship with him. Because yes, I want my family to be proud of me, but even more so, I want God himself to be proud of the way that I've lived my life. And so for as long as I can remember, uh, when I've been preparing messages and staying in front of a group of people, uh, right before I get up to, to teach God's word, I pray Psalm 1914, because I have to have my priorities in place. It's not just getting up and, and, and teaching a lesson and trying to be helpful. I want to be helpful to every single person you know, uh, in the church, right? And people walk away like, okay, we're going to live more for God. But that's always secondary to what's primary, and that's honoring God. And so here at the Burlington campus, typically I'm over here during the song right before the message, and I'm praying Psalm 1914. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, not anybody else's, but your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God says that's true success. People I'm talking to, you know, on a Sunday morning or any other time can get bored. You can nod off. You can yawn. And all those things happen, probably weekly, and that's okay. You can not learn something, right? It could be just another Sunday. But if my words in my heart honor God, then he deems that to be success. I don't want to settle for anything less. So here's a prayer for all of us today. And this week, as we're contemplating where are we and where we need to be. Psalm 51.10 says, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Because this kind of conversation really lands hard on some people's lives. Because maybe you're, you've been in decades of lies and, and living a double life or whatever it might be, and you're like, yeah, not, I can't get to that point. Read about the life of David. And for him to be able to pray this because there's a God who can come all the way to you and redeem your circumstances, even though there will be consequences and costs, by living wide open, living exactly who you are, David can pray and we can pray, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. You can have renewal. I don't know what your story is, but God promises you can have renewal. And repentance, right? Confession and saying, I'm sorry, that's gonna be part of that process. But repentance offers the opportunity for renewal. We can't keep the mask on. 
We can't keep compartmentalizing our lives and still be all in and live fully connected lives with God or the people around us. So honesty often requires the words, I'm sorry. But Jesus says, it's never too late for that. It's never too late to make the right decision, to be exactly who God created you to be. And God will do a work in the people around you to accept you for exactly who you are, brokenness and all, flaws and all. (laughs) And we're all broken. We all have a long way to go. So I pray we aim for integrity and not settle for anything less. And that's how God defines success.